Thank you for joining this episode of Healing Race. In previous episodes, Todd and I shed light on our different upbringings and the role that race played in those upbringings. In this episode, Andre asked me when I first became aware of systemic bias against members of the Black community. And I share the first time I heard someone in my social network express support for discriminatory practices, as well as the first time I saw firsthand how people from different races and ethnicities can experience very different living conditions in their neighborhoods. We also discuss whether a desire for psychological safety makes white Americans not want to think about or engage on issues of race and the risks more generally of not discussing and dealing with issues that we simply can't avoid. So let's get to that conversation now. Enjoy. first aware of of systemic bias against Black people in this country? There were two experiences that I can remember that made, besides Rodney King, that made me kind of realize something's, something's wrong, like something's off, or that made me take a point of view at the very least. One was, and I'm not going to, you know, in confidence to family, which I know you feel you want to do as well. Um, I'm not going to say who it was, but let's just say someone in the family network brought up his support for um, racial profiling hmm. um, in terms of like people driving and that, you know, they were okay with it. And I just could not believe it. But it had me for the first time think, wow, mm-hmm. first of all, people have points of view mm-hmm. that are clearly supportive of some kind of discriminatory practice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that are just, uh, to me, unfair on its face. I mean, even, even with the argument of like, oh, it's proportional to the amount of crime and we can get all into, oh, well, why is crime disproportionate, you know, you know, I don't even want to, you know, I don't think we need to go into the technical details of that, but let's even give that, give them that. It, it does not give any kind of right, I don't think, to profile a human being who you do not know and assume their guilt, mm-hmm. assume a, po- a, a probability of guilt. Um, and that was the first time I it hit me, not just, I mean, clearly it came up because it was being debated um, in the probably local area or state or country, I don't remember, but it was part of the political conversation at that time. So not only the, um, the awareness that that's actually a debate, but the idea that someone in my network who I would just assume to have a fair stance and to be a good hearted person mm-hmm. would carry a belief that would perpetuate some kind of discrimination. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the first time where I had to come face to face with and just acknowledge or just understand that this, that ideas existed like this. Mm-hmm. And that if ideas existed, then 
policies existed and or at least policies were supported and could potentially become active. So that was my first, I mean, my first kind of more guttural experience of the differences of realities was actually in sports. Um, we went to play, you know, we would travel to play soccer and we went to a lower socioeconomic area and it was a, an area that was primarily black and Hispanic. Mm -hmm. um, and so I remember in the experience of, you know, my, my parents drove me home and their feeling of concern about being in the area. Mm. Um, no, I mean, the reality might be that there was more crime. I certainly did not feel unsafe. I could see that there was a difference in the neighborhoods and it was stark. It hit me, you know, it, you know, I, I, it made me feel bad about it. Like it made me feel bad that there were like, if I look at the place where I'm from and I look at what at least it looks like here in terms of amenities, like it did not seem right that there were those disparities. Mm -hmm. um, the fields that we played on at soccer over there were bumpy. I mean, it was, you know, you could just, you, I just, I, I had the first experience of inequity in that way. Yes. That people are living in different realities by no choice of their own. Um, certainly, you know, people make choices. I'm not saying people, don't, but, you know, if I especially think of the kids, um, they didn't choose to be born in that area. And then their yeah. parents were probably kids born in that area. And then their kids were probably, you know, so, and, and even if they weren't born in that area, they were born somewhere, most likely born somewhere that didn't have the kind of supports that we've talked about. Right. Yes. And so there's a chain of, yes, there's a chain of people taking action on their experience, but there's also a chain of what they what they were just given by being born in a particular place as a, yeah. as a particular person. Yeah. Um, and that on its face just seemed not right. And so that was my first time in understanding, not like policy that was racially biased, mm -hmm. but real living conditions being disparate. Um, and the feeling that someone has not about just being in a place, but I probably in some unconscious way projected onto the people in that place. And I can imagine the human mind going to, okay, this place feels dangerous. It's mostly made up of people who are of you know people of color, you know, black and and, and Hispanic, uh, Spanish speaking. So, you know, I can imagine the association created in the mind, even if unconsciously and, and, and unintentionally. So those were, I think, the first experiences that I had that indicated to me that there were different kinds of lives that people lived and that in some way there were, there, there, there were ideas out there about different people um, and that these were based on characteristics that didn't seem fair to, you know, different, to use as a way of differentiating people and their value. So especially when you talk about, you know, the soccer, going to the soccer fields in the lower income neighborhoods yeah. and, you know, race not really being, you know, a part of the conversation as you were growing up, et cetera. And this was, you know, it was, it was a shock in that moment with respect to being hit in the basketball. I kind of want to tie all that together. Yeah. Do you feel, because I wonder whether there is this sense of, psychological safety that white people have so that if I don't associate with 
these sort of not, not don't associate. If I don't engage in my mind with respect to racial strife and racial conflict, et cetera, and I just remain in this sort of world that I have architected for myself, then I'm safe. So I, I want to know, I, I guess I'm asking the question, do you feel that there's a contingent of white people who don't engage in the rhetoric around these things or because it's psychologically uncomfortable for them? So when, when you have to, when you when a person has to acknowledge there is an issue, the other side of that coin is, well, you need to be a participant in doing something about it. So if I don't acknowledge that something is a real issue or that it even exists, then there's no imperative on my part to help in solving a problem. So I really want to explore a psychological safety. How does that relate to, can you, um, I'm happy to answer the question on its face, but just to help me understand a little bit of your thinking, how do you relate that to the story about the soccer field and that so lower socioeconomic through area. your parents i can explain it through your parents so the idea came into my mind when you said um or at least maybe related that your parents felt they were in an unsafe neighborhood by virtue of just the physical surroundings sounds like you guys were in a car you were driving yeah. and the only thing you could judge were the physical surroundings and yeah and because the neighborhood was starkly different from maybe what you are used to and it was yeah. maybe it was sort of like not as nice yeah there's a there i think there's a little context around that that i should probably explain um mm -hmm. we were in we were going to a school and we were in an area that has its own brand and its own associations so okay. we were in south central la Right. Yeah. Okay, so now that gives me some context. That gives you some context. Hell yeah. yeah. So this <laughs> like, you can oh, imagine no. what's on the local news in LA. <laughs> you can imagine. So I yes. you know my parents' reactions had I'm nothing not even to from do. LA and I know South Central. Mm -hmm. Yes, had nothing to do with I just want to <laughs> state it outright, had nothing to do with race or ethnicity. Yeah. But knowing that we were in South Central LA <laughs> and you could see the dilapidated yes. context. And so mm -hmm. that's that's the context <laughs> of their feelings. <laughs> okay. Oh, there, there used to be, yeah. Mm today. But what I was trying to get across mm -hmm. in that in that piece, in what I was saying is no matter who you are, myself, my parents, any other people, when you see images on, in, on the local news through media about a certain place mm -hmm. and a certain group of people in that place and what happens, and when you go to a certain area and you see what it looks like and you have feelings about your personal safety and you just notice who's around, <laughs> right? it's... I think it's a natural, and I don't want to, I, I do not want, I, I don't know if I took that on. I don't, I, I cannot speak for my parents about how they feel. Of course. Mm -hmm. uh, they have engaged, like I said, my, my dad had minority students through mm -hmm. much of his career and had great engagement with them, right? Okay. So yeah. I'm not making any presumptions about the impact on my parents. I'm speaking more generally about people, yeah? yeah. And yeah. that for me taking it in and thinking about it and seeing 
the difference in the feeling of safety and the feeling and the economic situation and the difference in the color of people and being able to see my world relative to that world, which had all of those differences, feeling of safety, different socioeconomic conditions and a different mix of races and ethnicities. Um, that for me is a kind of symbol and had a strong impact on the different realities that people live in. And if I think about how that gets broadcast, the way that people might take on these associations um, about people and racial and I, Totally. That's and what I, I was trying to get across. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense because what I'm trying to do now, what I want, what I'm asking is to expound on that, that maybe, <clears throat> maybe the acknowledgement of those differences and through all of the, you know, media perceptions, et cetera, that a person has taken in, could you psychologically, could you architect your framework of thinking in such a way where you don't even want to acknowledge in order to protect yourself, right? Yeah. So I guess what to explicitly state it, could a white person say, I won't even, I don't even want to engage because if I engage, then I have to acknowledge that this is real. And then that brings its own set of things that make me feel uncomfortable. Like I don't want to have, and so because I want to live in a place of psychological comfort, meaning safety, that me and my physical person and my view, my worldview are safe and they're accurate and they're right. I just won't even engage. Because as a black person, that's how sometimes it feels that we're being shut down. Like remember in another episode, I talk about what if you tell people, no, this is my reality. And people say, so what? So what? Because to deal with your reality makes me feel uncomfortable. So I'm not going to deal with it. But how can we not deal with it when we're all sharing the country together? Well, I think some probably consciously or unconsciously feel that they can because they don't have to. Mm -hmm. True enough. True, true, true. They just don't. They just mm -hmm. don't. I mean, I think that's kind of a little bit of the premise of your question, which is mm -hmm. if you had to deal with it, you'd feel obliged to do something about it. Yes, yes. That is part of the premise of my question. That's part of the premise. I mean, part of the premise is just the discomfort uh, of that. Um, I think, so going back to the conversation that happened around racial profiling, One can imagine, I mean, just imagine, like, I'll, just imagine people across America being in that situation in that moment. Um, how many people would feel comfortable, like, continuing that conversation? I don't know, race and rate and conflict generally. People, there, there's a lot of people who are just generally averse to conflict. Conflict averse, yeah. When it comes to their personal relationships, like, I mean, think about what it's what what politics in the last few years has done to families and friends, right? <laughs> and how you know there's just a lot of people they just don't want to talk about it. And like like let's just not talk about politics. Like let's just not talk about the 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 things that bring conflict into our I relationship. I can't do that. I can't do that because I'm someone personally who has to discuss the pink elephant in the room. There is yeah. not going to be an elephant in the room, and we're all just sitting here la di da uh. -uh. Yeah. Like, you know, you don't see this elephant in the room. <laughs> like, yeah. So me being a shy person growing up, I can kind of empathize with the feeling of not getting into it. Mm -hmm. 
obviously I've changed. Anyone who knows me over the course of my lifetime knows that I've changed. And now I'm not just open to having the conversation, but will bring the conversation. Yeah, you're leading. You, you yeah. Um, but I also understand why people sometimes don't, I understand why people just don't want to get into conflict generally in their relationships, why people might do a calculation of, okay, is it going to be real? Is it really worth having this conversation and threatening the, the, the peace and happiness and, and connection in this relationship that I have for the purpose of having this conversation? Do I really need to have it? I mean, how many of us do that in our personal relationships? How many of us, maybe you don't, Andre. Maybe you're living in a fool's paradise. <laughs> you don't have to convince me of that. <laughs> I'm just, yes. You just ask me a question of do people feel uncomfortable? Yes. I'll give you yes. an answer. Yes. Uh, I cannot live in a fool's paradise. Neither can I. I need oh to God. talk about pink elephant in the room, as you do. Um, it's really hard for me not to. But it doesn't mean that I never feel nervous about it mm -hmm. right okay i accept right when i go into when when i had to have the conversation with my parents about the way we were going to do our wedding and how i wasn't going to break the glass like it's traditional in jewish like i had to have the conversation i couldn't just like avoid it right mm -hmm. um but did i feel some nerves about having it because it was gonna instigate conflict in in the relationship and with regard to the wedding. And um, certainly I had some nerves about it. And so I think when it comes to race, when it comes to not just race, but any issue that doesn't feel directly pertinent to one's life, then you can imagine that the barrier to having the conversation is even greater. Like in the conversation about breaking the glass in the wedding, I couldn't, I could not avoid that conversation. It was personally relevant, right? Like I was going to be having a wedding and that wedding was not going to include that tradition. <laughs> and I had to think about what Ada and I were working to, you know, aspiring to create, right? There was strong personal relevance but if you think about a person who doesn't feel strong relevance to the source of the conflict, the topic, there's all the more reason to just. Okay, cool. So it. what happens when it lands on your doorstep? When, you're, when your kid wants to date the black kid. So now when the elephant is now starting making noise and taking shits all over your living room. Thank you for watching this episode of Healing Race and stay with us for a scene from our next video. If you want to see more conversations like the one you just watched, please subscribe to our channel, share this video with friends and family, and like and comment on the video below. If you'd like to be a guest on one of our episodes and have an open, real conversation about race, email us at guests at healingraceshow.com. And if there are topics you think we should cover, we'd love to hear them. So please email your ideas to topics at healingraceshow.com. As always, thanks for your support. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you. Now, here's a scene from our next healing race. So with respect to race and public policy, then where is the line? When do we start having the conversation? When is, when, okay, we say, okay, now the elephant is, 
making noise and we need to deal with the elephant. Because it feels like in the US, we kick cans down the road.